We are doing something new this Sunday. Um, we're make, doing an experiment. We're letting second through fifth graders join us for the beginning worship. And then now is when they get to go and have their own time of fun and learning about God. So we have some volunteers back there. There's my daughter, Mikkel. She will walk any kids down who need to go to kids' church. So, thank you. Um, last summer, when I started as interim, I, I didn't know what the future held. And you guys didn't know what the future held. And so I just thought the best thing we could do would be to pray. And we started with a very simple prayer every day, one sentence, Lord, teach us to pray. And I think he's been doing that. I think he's been answering that prayer. Um, we studied the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, and then from there we went to Ephesians, which is all about who we are as a church. And we began praying, Lord, help us better know you and be your church. And then in November, uh, we started praying, Lord, help us desire what you desire. And this morning, I would like to give you another prayer. Another simple one-sentence prayer. And I'm going to ask you to join me in praying this sentence every day for the rest of the month, all right? So, if you like to do the reminders in your phone, you can pull out a remi- your phone. Um, if you like the post-it notes, you'll find them in the baskets. Um, I like to do a post-it note and I use packaging tape and I just put it on my steering wheel. That's how I remind myself. So, but this is just one sentence and I would put this prayer in my top five of the most transformative prayers I have ever prayed that have done the most to change and grow me. The first one is, of course, the day that I asked God to forgive me for my sins and Jesus to become my Lord and Savior. Two of the others I've already given you. Lord, teach me to pray, and Lord, make me desire what you desire. There's two others in my top five. I'm going to give one to you right now, okay? You ready? God, help us... And we say us because we're praying after the pattern of the Lord's Prayer, right? That says, give us this day our daily bread. Our Father, we pray for all the believers, not just ourselves. So, Lord, help us see people as you do. Lord, help us see people as you do. That prayer rocked my world. It really did. Um, it was not just a, a one-time transformation, it was a process, but I believe if you pray that every day for the next month and we join together in doing that, um, it's going to transform you and it will transform our church. Our, we, we're in Matthew, I, I don't know if you picked that up. <laughs> Um, we started the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, then we went to Ephesians, which was all about being the church and taking the presence of Jesus out into our community, and I thought, well, let's just keep studying Jesus so we know how to do that. So we're back in Matthew, we'll be in Matthew until the end of Easter, and by that time we'll have covered about 
85% of Matthew will have read and, and discussed together. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, is where we're at today. Um, the passage isn't on the main screen. That's intentional because I want you to get used to opening up your Bibles. I want you to develop that habit. And also that, you know, as we come to worship, we're not just observers, we're participants. So grab a Bible. There's some in the baskets if you need one. If you don't have one, you can take one home with you. But Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And um, this is a challenging passage, so I just... I just wanted to start with some prayer, all right? Lord, we thank you for your word. Because it's alive and active. It's not just letters on a page. Your word is alive. And it is the true source of wisdom and the guide to living justly and freely and and blessed. And so, God, I just pray that you will help open our eyes and our ears and our minds to understand your word. And, Spirit, I ask that you will show us where your word applies to us, and we will receive it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at that little speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let let me get that speck out of your eye? And when all the time you have a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, right off the bat, we have a problem. I don't know if you picked up on it, but Jesus tells us not to judge. I don't know about you, but calling people dogs and pigs sounds a little judgy to me. <laughs> so how do we um, resolve these things? Well, we have to look at everything that he's saying and realize that he's speaking with hyperbole, with exaggerated statements to make a profound point. He's saying, look, don't, don't be rash in how you judge people. Yeah, there are people that you need to stay away from that are harmful, but don't be rash. And how you judge. And don't be quick to condemn people. Because the way that you judge others is exactly how your Heavenly Father will judge you. With the measure you use, it will be used for you. And this is not a one-time principle. In the Gospels and the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament. I have a slide up here. I'm not going to go through all of these verses. Um, but if you want to do some further study, you can take a picture of that. 
or, or jot them down. We'll leave that slide up. But these, these are all the other verses in the New Testament. You can see it's definitely a theme in Matthew that talks about how God treats us the same way we treat other people. How we judge people is how he's going to judge us. How we forgive people is how he's going to forgive us. That's in the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us as we forgive one another. It's repeated throughout Scripture. So Jesus is saying, look, you have to be cautious. How do you want God to treat you? How do you want God to judge you? We want God to to treat us with grace, right? We know that we've sinned. We know we do wrong things. And we want God to be gracious with us. And he is willing to be. But one of the things I've noticed in, about Christians, and this is true, this was true in my Christian journey too. We start our Christian journey rooted in God's grace. Knowing that we're sinners and that we need God's forgiveness and we need salvation. And so we start in God's grace. But the more we learn about God and the Bible and, and the ways of God, the more we kind of move out of grace into the muck of judgmentalism. Because now we know the right way to live. And we think other people should know the right way to live. And we just get stuck in this judgmental attitude. We need to stay rooted in the grace of God so that His grace flows up through us and through our eyes to how we see other people. And the more we do that, then the more grace God extends to us. And it becomes a cycle where we're soaking up God's grace and it's coming out through us and God gives us more grace and it's coming out through us. But we... In our knowledge of God, sometimes we get so stuck on external behavior. And we're so focused on what other people are doing, the external behaviors, that it just blinds us to how much we still need the grace of God. One of the great failures in American Christianity is that we're so addicted to rapid results. It's just part of our culture. We expect things quickly. That we focus on external behaviors without taking time to actually dissect our souls and what's going on inside of us. To understand what's lurking within us that causes us to see people and react to people the way that we do. We assume that we see people the way that they are. We don't. We see people as a result of what's in us. Not just what's in them, but also what is in us. What is in us affects how we see and view others. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the two-by-four sticking out of your own? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye. You have to ask God to reveal what is wrong within you and get that 
cleaned out before you can ever see other people clearly. When I first started praying, I'm just going to stop. Spence, I can like barely hear myself. Can you guys hear me well? You can. Okay. I feel like I am talking at the top of my voice range to make myself heard instead of talking at my normal voice. So, thank you. Um, yeah, but I'm getting like parched because <laughs> I'm trying to project. All right. Okay. When I first started praying, uh, Lord, help me see people as you do, it was because I knew I had a lack of empathy. Um, I had sat, sat in enough sermons to know that there were people out there who didn't... Um, oh, thank you. You're so kind, Richard. Thank you. Um, who didn't know Jesus and I should care. And I just kind of cared. Or people who are struggling that I should care. And I just like, uh, you know, kind of care. But I was mostly focused on myself and my own life. And so I started praying, Lord, help me to see people as you do. Because I knew if I could see people as God saw them, I would value them. And and I would have empathy and compassion. And and I'd also um, start to have wisdom as to how to help them, too, if I could see them as God did. There was a side effect to praying that prayer that I did not anticipate, though. Um, all those things, God did begin to grow in me more and more. But there was one thing that happened that I did not expect. And that was, I began to see myself as God sees me. Because I'm people, right? And seeing myself as God sees me just wrecked me. In all the best possible ways. Um, it humbled me, for sure. Like, I just began to see um, how judgy I could be, how petty I could be, how impatient I could be. Like, all those things. I just began to see how prone to sin I was. And how I just, I needed to stay in God's grace and His empowerment just to accomplish anything worthwhile. <laughs> Um, but it also set me free. It didn't just humble me. It set me free. As it kind of like broke up the muck of judgmentalism and planted me back into grace, it, I just began to learn to live more out of the sense and freedom of God's grace instead of this sense of shoulds and ought tos. I also stopped pursuing just some ignorant dreams and was able to more focus on the way God actually created me and walking in that path and developing those skills and abilities and those opportunities. Lord, help me see people as you do. It it humbled me and it freed me. But it also built empathy in me. Because the more I got in touch with my own brokenness, the more I understood and related to the brokenness in other people. 
it wasn't a one-time experience. I mean, this has been an ongoing process in my life. That sometimes I've been more intentional about than others. But sometimes, guys, we just, um, we judge people so harshly. We just, we just do. Especially people who should know better. Like, I don't know who the should know better people are in your life, but we all have them. Right? Like, maybe it's your spouse. Oh, they should know better. Or it's your children. I've told them a million times. They should know better by now. Yeah. Or it's a lot of times we do that for leaders, like bosses or other leaders, and especially Christians. Amen. They should know better. Really? Amen. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Is it realistic to expect people to always do the right thing? To know what the right thing or best thing to do is? How many people do you know that actually pull that off? Jesus. <laughs> That's the point. We're human. We're not God. Our, our judgment, our energy, our courage are limited. They're limited. For some of us, the plank we need to remove from our eye is unrealistic expectations. And and if I can go a bit deeper, for some of us, the reason why we struggle with unrealistic expectations for others is because we have unrealistic expectations for ourselves. And we struggle giving grace to others because we don't give grace to ourselves. I went through a period, well, let me say this. Um, for most of my adult life, this would be true for about 15 to 20 years of my life, I always had a daily to-do list that I never could finish. And like tasks would just pour over from one day to the next day constantly. And for 15 to 20 years, every morning, I woke up behind. I was already behind from the moment I woke up. You think I had unrealistic expectations for what I could actually do. And God, um, this has happened twice in my life. The first time I didn't, I didn't get the memo. Um, but he took me through a time of sickness when I had to slow down. I was forced to slow down. And I call that stage of my life learning to embrace my humanity. Like for a good year, God just taught me to embrace my humanity, that as a human, I have God-given limits. On all that I can do and accomplish and, and all of that. God calls us children. He also calls us sheep. Amen. That's because compared to Him, we are not that strong and we are not that smart. <laughs> um, 
we need, we're learning. We, we need direction and we need frequent rest. That's part of how God created us. And part of learning is just making mistakes, right? And when we're tired, we make more mistakes. If we, we can be honest, so many of us, instead of living rooted in grace, we are living out of a constant state of exhaustion. And, and and sometimes we don't even know how exhausted we are because it's just our norm. And then something crashes and breaks and forces us to slow down. I think one, I've talked about one failure, but another failure of American Christianity is that we tend to ignore everything God's word says about rest and simplicity of life. We talk about taking Jesus' presence into the world and living like Jesus. Jesus lived very simply. He did. He took a lot of time to rest, to pray, to reflect, to invest in a small group of people. He lived with kind of the singular goal. And and there are things of Jesus' character that will never be developed in us if we are running in 20 different directions at top speed. It's just not compatible. Some of the things about Western culture's fast-paced hamster wheel lifestyle are just not compatible with the Christian life. Sometimes our mistakes are sin and we need to repent and ask forgiveness. Sometimes our mistakes are a lack of wisdom, a lack of experience, or a lack of energy, or a lack of courage. And instead of beating ourselves up, or in our minds beating other people up, we need to stay Rooted in God's grace. Understanding how we constantly need His guidance, His wisdom, His energy, His grace. And get the plank out of our eye. So then we can clearly see others. Understand this. If you can't admit you have a plank, you can't be rooted in God's grace. First of all, you have a plank. Jesus said it, not me. Jesus said it. He said, we all have planks. But if you don't have a plank, you have no need for God's grace. Me, Pastor Tamar, I have planks in my eyes. I have biases. I don't always see things right. I don't always make the right call. And it is knowing that I have planks that keeps me rooted in God's grace. It's the moment I stop acknowledging and I deny I have planks that I get stuck in the muck of judgmentalism. 
None of us are perfect. We all have planks and from now until the end of our lives, it's just this journey of taking out planks so we can help people remove specks. You know, as a pastor, that's what I do. I don't change lives. I spend time with God letting his word wreck me so I can come and help get out specks. As I prepared this message, um, I was convicted. And I had to ask Eric to forgive me, which he did. Amen. But I um, I had been so focused on uh, um, this new position and everything I had to do and learn and um, get done for, for this job that I was quietly becoming frustrated that someone else wasn't taking more responsibility. And God convicted me about that. And I realized I'm not just the only one who has a new job. Somebody else has a new job too. (laughs) That he has to learn and adapt to. And I began listing everything that he was doing for his job and everything he was doing at home. And I realized the problem wasn't with him, it was with me. When we feel underappreciated... It is often because we're so focused on everything that we are doing that's good and right that we can't see what the other people are doing that's good and right. If you struggle with feeling underappreciated or taken advantage of, I I just recommend that, first of all, stop focusing on what you're doing. We kind of keep track, don't we? We think of all the things we do, and you know, it just, they have no idea how much time this took me, and how hard it was. And they just take for granted that these things happen all by themselves, or they just assume that I have endless energy. Oh, and then there was a time I did that and no one noticed. And they barely said thank you for that thing. And, you know, they just uh, always make my job harder than it needs to be. And we just start to keep track of everything that we do. (sighs) Thanks. And we get this. Debt. Of all the good things we've done that have not been rightly appreciated or we haven't got enough help with. And it blocks our view. It becomes a plank in our eye. I see this happen in marriages all the time. It's happened in mine. There will be a spouse who rightly feels underappreciated. And so there's this debt. And the other spouse eventually wakes up and catches on. And they start to do things. They start to 
compliment and say thank you or serve um, or do kind things. But the other spouse can't even see it because they're so focused on everything they have done. And they can't receive the appreciation. And no matter what the other person does, it's never going to be enough. Because let's face it, it's not like this ends. You're always doing more things that need to be appreciated, right? So even when they do say thank you, or they try to appreciate it, it's like, oh, thanks, doesn't make up for all of this, you know? And not only that, but this, this debt of being underappreciated or taken granted this, this burden of being wronged, it, it, it affects how you see all your relationships. And you begin to feel that way with other people, whether it's true of them or not. Because when this is what we're focused on, we can't see what other people are doing. Amen. And we can't appreciate other people either. A debt like this has to be forgiven. It has to be forgiven. If you want to be free of the burden of being wronged, because it's a burden... It weighs you down. It steals your joy. If you want to be free of the burden of being wrong, you have to just forgive it. And instead of focusing on it, you have to start focusing on the good things the other people are doing. Start listing them out. Get the plank out of your own eye. Root yourself back in the soil of God's grace. And then you'll find your joy returns. I chose the example of being taken for granted and unappreciated because that's what God convicted me of, but it's also connected to verse 6, where Jesus talks about Casting your pearls before swine. But before we head to that, let me just say, this principle isn't just about being underappreciated. It's about any burden of being wronged. And it's also true of your relationship with God. If you are focused on all the things God hasn't done for you, you will never see all the good things that he has done. Some things you just have to let go of. All right, let's look at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. How do we recognize people 
who take our good gifts for granted. Um, some of us, we fall into patterns of giving our best gifts, whether that be our time, our abilities, our romantic love, our affection. We give them to people who just trample on them. So how do we recognize who these people are? Well, first of all, we have to follow the order of the passage. We have to get the planks out of our own eyes. If you don't get the plank out of your own eye, you'll never be able to judge accurately. You know, Lord, help me see people as you do. Helps you see yourself with grace. It helps you know your worth. It helps you know what your gifts are worth. Helps you see other people as well. That is the first step. But then there's there's two characteristics here in the passage of people that God calls dogs and pigs. Um, his words, not mine. First is that they don't appreciate the gift, right? They just... It's like they don't even know what to do with it. They just trample on it. They don't know what to do with it, whether it's your love or your time or your ability. They waste it. That's the first thing. The second thing is that they turn and tear on you. They tear you down. Now, there may be some people who don't know what to do with your gifts, your pearls, That doesn't mean they're a dog or a pig. They also have to turn and tear you down. I think this turning on you and, you know, tearing people down, it can take many forms. Some of them are very obvious, like physical abuse or people who yell and scream or people who spread rumors and lies about you. You know, those kind of things are more obvious, like, oh, they're attacking me. Gaslighting is not that obvious, and I think it's one of the more subtle ways. Gaslighting is when someone does something wrong and you approach them about it and they make it your fault, right? It's like, it was just a joke, you're too sensitive. Or nobody else cares, nobody else minds that. You know, you're too picky, you're never happy. Don't you trust me? You have a you have a problem trusting people. You know, it's it's that kind of language that is that is gaslighting. As someone turning on you and tearing you down. The point is this: you're you're not going to be able to tell the difference between honest feedback because sometimes we are wrong, right? Between honest feedback and something like gaslighting. Unless you get the plank out of your eye and you start to see yourself as God sees you and see other people as God sees them. And once you realize um, that, wow, I'm in a relationship with a pig, because um, God will, you have to trust, okay, you have to trust that the God who sees you with grace and helps you see other people with grace who loves you enough to do that. He also loves you enough to show you when you're in a harmful relationship. 
He's not just going to teach you to see people with grace and have blinders on. He loves you. He will show you these things. But once he does, and whether the relationship is um, a friendship or a romantic relationship or an employer, because some of us are casting our best pearls to our employers, the best of our time, the best of our energy, the best of our creativity, and by the time we get home, we got nothing left. Once God shows you that you are in that kind of relationship, what is the response? It's not to hate the pig or kick the pig or hold a grudge against the pig. No, the response is simply you just don't give them any more pearls. You forgive and just don't give them any more of your pearls. But I think for many of us, we get stuck in these kinds of friendships or romantic relationships or family relationships or work relationships. We get stuck because if we don't give our pearls to this relationship, we don't know where we're going to give them. We don't know if there's ever going to be anybody else. Or we don't know what other kind of job there might be. That it could ever be better than what we're dealing with right now. And so we just stay. Because we think this is the best it's going to get. I just want to read the very next thing Jesus says. The next thing he says is this. Verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that sheds light. And is a light to our eyes. And God, I, I pray that you will reveal to us where the planks are in our eyes. Help us see people as you do. Help us see ourselves as you do. Root us in your grace, God, where we've been stuck in the muck of judgmentalism. Just break it up. 
Help us get in touch with our our own brokenness and our own limits and plant us back into the soil of your grace, God, and let your grace just flow up and in us and fill us and through us. And through us and how we see and respond to others. God, we we pray for you to forgive us for those we have judged too harshly. For those we've judged in ways we would never want to be. Help us extend grace, Lord. And God, show us where to invest our pearls. Some of us, some of us aren't even sure we have any. God, I pray you help us see ourselves as you do and how even though we're broken and limited and, and we have faults that you have still gifted us. We are human beings made in your image, God. Help us know what our pearls are and value them as you do. And help us know who to give them to and where to spend them. And if we're spending them in the wrong place, God, make that clear. And convict us that you have something better for us. For everyone who asks, receives. Your word says. God, help us believe that and ask for what is good. Thank you, you only give good gifts. Help us to receive them, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we have our prayer bowls up here at the front. And some of you know this by now. Um, they're for your prayers. And you can write them down on those post-it notes and bring them forward. If you're committed to praying this prayer, Lord, help us see people as you do every day. I pray you just come, you just come forward and, and put it in the bowl as a sign of your commitment to do that. There may be other prayers you want to write down as well. And if you fold them up, um, I will not look at them. I'll just keep them in a locked drawer until we have a, a burning ceremony. But if you leave them unfolded, I'll read them and pray with you. I do that on Tuesdays. And you can do that anonymously. You don't have to sign your name to it. But I'll just take them and I hold them in my hand and I say, Lord, you know who this person is. And I pray that you, and I'll just pray in accordance with what you write. But we want to offer these to you. You can come up during any song, any time, during our worship service. Okay. As we sing.